0: All right, I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you before you're seated, we're going to pray, and then I want you to know that um, if you have your book with you, then we're on page 75, chapter 7. If you don't have your book with you, we're in Revelations chapter 12. I don't want to be confusing, so let me say that again. If you have the end book that we wrote for this series, then you're in chapter 7, page 75. If you're in the Bible and don't have the book, Revelation chapter 12. But they're both the same. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just thank you tonight for the Word of God. That, Lord, you are the one who knows the end from the beginning. You have told us the future before it unfolds. And, Lord, we're amazed at the godness of God. And we pray your blessing, Lord, tonight on your Word. You would open our eyes and ears, our understanding, so that we could understand what you've given to us, Lord, that we might understand the times and not be taken by surprise. And we thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, I receive your word tonight. Speak to my heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him, Good thing you're here tonight. Amen. Amen. Isn't this beautiful weather? I know I talk about the weather a lot when I get up here, but it matters. I I really love it because it's cycling weather, and you know that I like to cycle. So I've already done that today. Now, I thought it would be good if we just kind of summarized our journey thus far because you deal with so many things in the Revelation that um, it can really become muddled. And so I want us to sort of stay on track with all of this. So let's just kind of summarize starting at the beginning and just moving on through, and we can do this quickly. Chapters 1 through 3 in the Revelation opened up with the glorified Messiah appearing to John with a message to seven different churches. Then in chapter 4, John is taken up into heaven, and he is told that he's about to be shown things, this is important, that will soon take place, and that tells us that this is going to be a prophetic word. John, I'm about to show you things that are going to take place in the future. I'm about to prophesy to you, John. Then in chapter 5, a drama unfolds, and you remember this drama. A scroll with seven seals appears, And, and there's nobody found worthy to open it, and this reality causes John to weep. He can't believe that in all of God's green earth and heaven, there's not one being worthy to open the scroll, the seven seals. And then you remember that Jesus steps forward as the Lamb of God, and he opens the seals, and he alone was worthy. Now in chapter 6, six of the seven seals are opened. The first four are the dreaded horsemen of the apocalypse that we all have heard so much about. And those four horsemen release the Antichrist, war, famine, and plague upon the earth. And let's keep in mind that though these judgments are very severe, so is the sin of man. And listen, when I read my Bible, it's very clear to me that our God doesn't judge until there's no other option. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he chooses mercy over judgment. But there comes a time when, hey, it's clear to God, nobody's going to repent. There's never going to be a change. This human race, where they are right now, are never going to turn So the only thing left for me is to judge, and that's what's happening in the book of Revelation. Then the opening of the fifth seal reveals the souls of those who have been martyred, asking God how long before their lives are avenged. And folks, I want to bring to your mind something right now that in the Middle East and around the world, there is a genocide of Christians taking place at the hands of Islam. If you read the news, watch the news, if you're aware at all of what's going on in the world, Even our own Islam-denying government has finally come out and said, yes, there is a genocide being perpetrated against Christians on the part of Islamic radicals, though they didn't call them Islamic radicals. But I'll call them because that's what they call themselves. Okay. So they're going to be there as well. Right now there are people being martyred. They're going to be at this altar in heaven, saying, Lord, how long before you avenge our lives? Well, then, the opening of the sixth seal releases cosmic catastrophes with the moon turning red as blood, the sun being obscured, and meteorite showers pummeling the earth. It is major, major stuff going on in the tribulation period. And and John vividly records mankind's response to the heart-stopping scene uh, of all this stuff happening in in the heavens. Uh, The verses, chapter 6, verses 15 to 17 reads, The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, And who can stand? Listen, folks, you're looking at something frightening. If you would rather have mountains fall on you, than face it. And that's going to be the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus came as the mild, meek Lamb that died for our sins. But here he's manifested as the judge of the earth. And every person is going to face Jesus one way or the other. Every human being will. Either covered in the blood or to give account for your sins. But every person is going to meet Jesus. And every tongue will confess, say it with me, that he is Lord, including the devil. I'm looking forward to that. In chapter 7, we saw 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, sealed by God to be witnesses during the Great Tribulation. So, folks, the Great Tribulation, and terrible as it is, is going to be a time of high-level evangelism. We also saw a vast multitude, no man could number, of the redeemed worshiping God in heaven. Heaven is going to be a major, major worship session, so you might as well get warmed up here and get your hands up during church services and don't be a frozen chosen. Get your hands up and learn to worship God because the day is coming when, hey, we're going to be lost in worshiping the one who made us, amen? Now. Chapter 8 reveals the seventh seal opened by the Lamb, the the last of the seals. And a great silence falls upon the inhabitants of heaven, for the seventh seal portends the next series of judgments known as the seven trumpet judgments. And it's going to go from the seal judgments to the trumpet judgments to the bowl judgments, 21 in all, and and they increase in severity with each judgment. Now, the first four trumpets are blown in chapter 8. With these fearsome trumpets, a third of earth's ecology is burned up, a third of marine life is destroyed, a third of earth's clean water is turned bitter, and a third of the heavens is turned dark. Everybody say, woe is me. Amen. Heavy stuff. Chapter 9 sees the fifth trumpet blown, releasing demonic, locust-like creatures. These are not helicopters, as some have taught. This is not John seeing future military machinery. The Bible says they come out of the abyss of hell. These are demon spirits. And he says they look like locusts. Well, I'll just leave that with John. That's what he saw. And they torment mankind for five months. That's in chapter 9. The sixth trumpet then blows, and four angels stationed at the Euphrates River are released to kill a third of mankind. Now, in your book, it's wrong. It's it's, it's a mis- print. And so what I just read is the right p- part. The misprint says um, that they are released to dry up the Euphrates. That was a misprint. So just scratch through it or right above it. They're, uh, they are stationed at the Euphrates River, and they're released to kill a third of mankind, and I'll fix it in the second edition. You have a marred edition. That means it's a trophy, Okay? It's the only mistake I've been able to find, but that was a mistake. Now, let's move on. In chapter 10, a mighty angel, who is likely the Lord Jesus himself, stands with one foot in the sea and another on the land, and he declares that time is no longer. Then in chapter 11, we observe two witnesses that prophesy in the streets of Jerusalem for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. And midway through the tribulation... When Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation, these two witnesses are killed, but they are raised from the dead three and a half days later by God while the whole world watches. I can't wait for CNN's cameras to melt. Amen? We also saw in chapter 11 that the temple is going to be rebuilt on its ancient site, even though what is now the Dome of the Rock occupies that spot. Now, finally, in chapter 11, the seventh trumpet sounds. And this last trumpet releases yet another great worship session in heaven, followed by flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm on earth. All right, that's that's a quick run-through. Now let's go right to chapter 12 and an amazing sight. As chapter 12 opens, John is going to be given by Jesus a flashback into recent and ancient history for the purpose of identifying and explaining the first of seven intriguing characters introduced in the end times that we meet in both chapters 12 and 13, and that's going to be the great dragon. So look at Revelation 12, verse 1, and let's read. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now, people read this and they go, wow, you know, that's why I can't understand Revelation because it, it's so much symbology. But this one's easy. The woman John saw is Israel, both historical Israel and as represented in Bible prophecy. Because we, we go to Genesis 37 and we see Joseph's dream. Joseph had a dream. dream. How many of you remember Joseph? Joseph had a dream. And in the dream, he saw the sun and moon and 12 stars. And these are clearly Israel. Let's read Genesis 37, verse 9. Soon, Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. He said, listen, I've had another dream. Okay, this is his first mistake because his brothers hated him after this dream. But he said, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, hey, they bowed low before me. And how did Jacob, his father, interpret this dream? Look what Jacob says in verse 10. What kind of dream is that, Jacob asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? Now, what does Jacob's response tell us? That Jacob saw that the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars was talking about them. Jacob and his family and of course, we know that Jacob and his 12 sons comprised the embryonic nation of Israel. And so the great wonder that John saw was the pregnancy of Israel. Look at Revelation 12, verse 2. He says, John goes on and says, she was pregnant, the she being Israel. She was pregnant. And she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, of course, It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. This is none other than a symbolic picture of Israel represented in Mary's pregnancy, bringing forth a wonder child, Christ Jesus the Lord. And this is the ultimate fulfillment of the purpose for the Jewish race given to Abraham way back in Genesis 12, 3. And it says, and in you, all the families of the earth." Shall be blessed. Now, let me ask you a question: How are all the families of the earth blessed through Jesus? Amen. So, the the vision that John saw here's here's this woman, and she's pregnant, and he associates her with the sun, moon, and and, and the stars. Jacob said, "You're talking about us." So clearly, this is this is this is a symbolic picture of Mary representing Israel becoming pregnant with the Christ child and giving birth to the Christ child. Now next we meet a dragon in verse 3. Revelations 12, 3 says, Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his heads. Don't let the heads and the crowns throw you. I'm going to explain it but let's talk about the dragon. The dragon is clearly the devil. Thirteen times in Revelation, he's called a dragon. His seven heads depict the evil perfection of his influence on civilization's progress. Remember, seven represents perfection. He has seven heads. And the ten horns, we're going to look at that a lot more in the next couple of weeks to come, but the ten horns are a prediction of the final alignment of Gentile world powers that will come into league with Antichrist. We'll also see this seven-headed, ten-horned beast in later chapters depicting Antichrist's evil political system. Satan will work through a ten-nation confederacy in order to enthrone his Antichrist as the world ruler. See, there will be two people on the world stage. Number one, who we're about to read about even more in chapter 13, Antichrist. Working with him is called the false prophet, another man. This false prophet is like the Antichrist evil John the Baptist. And this false prophet's job is to point to the Antichrist and say, he's your man, there's your guy, that's your man, that's the one you need to be looking to and following. And this false prophet will do signs and wonders and miracles under the supernatural power of the devil and not of God. And together, one is a political ruler, the other is a religious ruler, and together... They seize the attention of the entire world. Now, next John is given a historical review of Satan's rebellion and fall prior to the Garden of Eden. Look at verse 4. His tail, that is the tail of the dragon, swept away one-third of the stars, and stars is asteros, and can easily mean messengers or angels, and that's what this is talking about. His tail swept away one-third of the stars, angels, in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. Now we know from what the Bible tells us that one-third of the angels of God rebelled with Lucifer against God before the world was ever created. Have you ever stopped to think that when we meet the devil, he's already judged? When Genesis introduces us to the devil, he's already judged. He's been thrown down. He is a disembodied spirit. He is evil. He is wicked. He's no longer a glorious archangel, the light-bearer, Lucifer, but he has been judged, and we find him immediately trying to undermine the creation of God. So John is being given a vision, sort of a review. He's being taken back into ancient history before the world was even created, and he's seeing how the devil was judged. These fallen angels that he took with him one-third of the angels went with him. One-third of them followed him. And these, these angels, and there had to be millions of them because God created so many angels, and a third is a lot. These fallen angels are the principalities and powers that we do battle with all the time. Found in Ephesians 6, we battle not against flesh and blood, but what do we battle? Principalities, powers, powers rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, that's talking about, that is identifying the satanic hierarchy of fallen angel spirits that are now demons. It's these fallen angels that were terrified of Jesus, that recognized Jesus, that spoke through people they had possessed and talked to Jesus and said, please don't send us into the abyss. Please don't send us to the the bottomless pit. And the Bible says over and over again, they knew who he was. They knew who Jesus was. Mankind may not have known, but they knew. These are the fallen angels. The record of this ancient satanic rebellion against God is found in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, Ezekiel 28, 12 to 17. Let's just read Isaiah's account. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. So we're not wondering who he's talking about. Son of the morning, how you are cut to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, now we're about to read about the first sin that ever darkened God's universe. It didn't happen with Adam and Eve. The first sin happened in the heart of Satan. Look at this. For you said in your heart, I will ascend Into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. In other words, I'm going to be God. And pride entered his heart. Pride was the first sin to ever darken God's universe. Pride. Satan looked at himself in the mirror, and he was a beautiful, stunning, glorious archangel, perhaps the leader of the archangels. And his beauty overtook him, and he said, you know what, I ought to be God. And he ascended up towards heaven literally to overthrow the creator, which shows me he had lost his satanic mind. (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. Because, hey, he's the one that made me. He says in verse 15, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol. You shall be brought down to the lowest depths of the pit. Now, that's the story of Satan's fall. That's the red dragon in Revelation. And John is being shown this by Jesus for a reason because of where now the narrative is going. Next, as John looks on, he sees a satanic attempt to kill the child Jesus. So this devil, this Satan, Lucifer, who tried to overthrow God but now has been cast down, has lost his archangel glory, but he still has power, now jumping down the tunnel of time by many centuries, Jesus is about to be born. And look what it says in verse 4. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth. Ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. This is exactly what took place, folks, through the wicked King Herod when Jesus was born. We read this every Christmas, but I'll read it again because we need to put it into context here. Matthew 2 16 to 18 says, Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill. All the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under and based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Verse 17, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah where he said a cry was heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. And that was the prophet predicting what Herod would do. And, and what Revelations is doing is letting us behind the veil to see what was happening in the spirit realm. If you had lived in Jesus' day in, in the time of Herod when Herod did this, and you didn't know God, you would have just seen a a, a wicked ruler releasing a terrible decree You would have heard the crying of all the moms who lost their boys, two years old and under, at Herod's command, but you would not have been able to see beyond the veil the red dragon who was on the hunt for the child Jesus and wanted to take him out before his redemptive purpose could be fulfilled. Powerful stuff. That's why I like the revelation. It takes us behind the scenes. And it shows us that, that to the natural eye, things just happen. You know, there's a, there's a kind of a random play of events, and we, we use words like fate or luck or, or things like that. But, you know, when you can see into the spirit world, you see that there, there are things going on in the spirit world that cause what we see in the natural to take place. We're in a battle. We're in a war. And John is being given a vision of, 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 I mean, a vivid vision of this war, this great red dragon sitting, I just picture it, with his mouth open, this dragon waiting to devour the Christ child. But God wouldn't let it happen. Now, like what it says in verse 5. John's supernatural trip back through history continues as he witnesses the birth and victory of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, she, that is Israel, and, of course, we know Mary, gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. Amen. 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 No weapon formed against you will prosper. When God wants to protect you, no devil can get to you. Not flesh, not devil, not demon, not Satan can get to you when God's got his hand on your life, and you're a child of destiny, and if you're a child of God, you're a child of destiny. Amen. Yes. Amen. Now we're going back to the future. Next, John is transported back to the future as the narrative picks up. Three and a half years in the middle of the Great Tribulation. Now the new world ruler, the Antichrist, has suddenly severed his seven-year covenant with Israel and slain the two witnesses in Jerusalem. Now Israel, at that time period, three and a half years into the tribulation, Israel, the woman, comes under persecution. Many Jews in that day will flee to a place in the wilderness, perhaps even hundreds of thousands of those who still have not even received Jesus as the Messiah. John says, In verse 6, they will be protected for 1,260 days or three and a half years. Let's read verse 6. And the woman, now that's Israel, again, staying with the metaphor, staying with the symbol, the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. So as Jesus was protected, so will be these Jewish people. God will not allow Antichrist to commit total genocide against the Jewish people. Now, yet another shift from earth to heaven takes place as John observes an incredible battle underway. Let's look at what's happening in verses 7 through 9, chapter 12. Then there was war in heaven. Where'd the war happen? In heaven. What did Jesus say? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, look what's happening. There's war in heaven. Michael and his angels... Fought against the dragon and his angels. Everybody read the next six words with me because I love it. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of where? This is this great dragon, John goes on in verse 9. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Now, let me explain this. We're three and a half years into the tribulation. While the Jews are in flight, and when do they have to flee? When Antichrist walks into the temple and declares himself to be God and commits the abomination of desolation. He does that three and a half years in. He breaks that peace treaty. He has made a peace covenant with Israel, but he's not a man of his word because he's demonic and Satan never keeps his word. Three and a half years in, While the Jews think they're at peace, while they're saying peace, peace, and safety, safety, he walks into the rebuilt temple, into the Holy of Holies, and he says, I am God, you must worship me and no one else. And when he says those words and commits that abomination of desolation, all literal hell breaks loose on Jerusalem and Israel and the world. And many Jews flee for protection. And that's what this is talking about. While the Jews are in flight, Satan will be totally expelled from heaven and denied even the limited access he now enjoys as revealed in Job chapters 1 and 2. You remember Job? Remember the story? Uh, It says that when all of the sons of God went to, it, it sounds to me like report to God, it says Satan comes in among them. And Satan says to God, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan accuses Job and tries to get God to turn against Job and attacks Job's integrity and character because his name means accuser. So we see that, and I don't understand why God allows it, but we see that Satan has this access. But that access three and a half years into the tribulation, is shut down. He is now confined. He's cast to the earth. That's what it says. The dragon lost the battle. He and his angels were forced out of heaven. The ancient serpent called the devil, Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, is thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. He is now confined primarily to earth for the final 1260 days of the tribulation. Heaven rejoices over this. It says in verses 10 through 12, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Read the next part with me. For the accuser of our brethren. Stop right there. You know that's what he does more than anything else. He accuses you. And he does it in the theater of your own mind. And you think it's you when all of a sudden you've built a case against yourself and you're down on yourself and you're saying, man, I, I have, who am I to go to church? I'm such a hypocrite and I do this and I do that and who am I to pray and I'm not a good Christian and so who am I to tell anybody about Jesus and you don't realize that what's going on is the accuser of the brethren is working on you. Amen. Because the Bible truth is there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now, watch this. He says, the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God, how often? Has been cast down. Now, let's read out loud together how they overcame him. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Amen. Now, there's joy going on in heaven. Verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows he has what? A short time. So when he is cast down and he loses that access that he's had, And he's thrown down to the earth, and he knows, hey, judgment day is just around the corner. Let me tell you something. He is not blessed. He is not happy. And what is John told? Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Why? Because he is coming down to you. He has been cast down to you. He is filled with rage and wrath, and he knows he has a short time. The dragon is now filled with great wrath. How does that anger manifest itself? From everything I can see, he proceeds to further energize the Antichrist with supernatural power. Chapter 13 paints an incredible picture of how bad it becomes on the war-torn, sin-infected, devil-infested planet Earth. Look at Revelations 135 to 6, just jumping ahead for a little preview. It says, Then the beast was allowed to speak. Great blasphemies against God. The beast is the Antichrist. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And, folks, he's doing it on worldwide communication systems. He's blaspheming God. I see that here's the devil cast down. He knows his time is short. He's filled with wrath. How does he vent that wrath? Antichrist becomes the most demon-possessed man in the history of the human race. He's already got the attention of the world, and so he begins to blaspheme your God, my God, your Christ, my Christ. He begins to blaspheme. He says his name, God's name, his tabernacle. That's got to be talking about the, the rebuilt temple and those who dwell in heaven. He is blaspheming heavenly personalities. Daniel the prophet also predicts that the Antichrist would possess a vile, blaspheming tongue. He describes him as the little horn with, quote, a mouth speaking pompous words. John continues with a description of this vile man Paul the Apostle calls the man of sin and the son of perdition. Look at Revelations 13, 7 to 8. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people. That's the Christian and the Jew. So everybody say with me, it's persecution time. It's persecution. That's what we're being told in Revelations 13. Persecution breaks loose like it's never broken loose in the history of the planet, in the history of Christianity. Christi- persecution goes front burner. And it says he was given authority to rule over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And all the people who belong to this world, what did they do? Say it with me. Worshipped the beast. Now let me elaborate just briefly. This is World domination that's being described to us. I want you to notice it says the Antichrist is given authority over every tribe, people, language, and ethnicity. The entire world comes under his spell and under his control for a brief season. This is the world domination every totalitarian despot has wanted but been unable to obtain. Hitler longed to have what the Antichrist is going to have, so did Stalin so did Mussolini, so did the Roman Caesars. But for a brief time, this son of the devil achieves it under the anointing of Satan. This is what the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble destined to come upon Israel. Satan hates Israel, the woman, because they are God's elect and because Israel, the woman John saw, Gave birth to the wonder child, Jesus Christ. Don't you know the devil hates the... Let me tell you why the devil hates the Jewish people. Because they were God's elect and they were chosen to bring forth his destroyer. Jesus is the devil's destroyer. Jesus is Satan's worst nightmare. And and he hates the Jewish people because God laid his hand on them all the way back in Genesis 12 verse 1 when he called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees and and told him through you all the earth is going to be blessed and all the things that he promised Abram. That was the beginning. That was the beginning of God's plan unfolding to bring forth the bruiser of Satan's head. Amen. And that's why Satan hates the Jewish people. That's why, you know, the Jewish people aren't perfect. Israel is filled with sin and iniquity and transgression. But you know what? You'll never catch this boy cursing Israel. Amen. And you should not either. And And now we're in a... We're in a move of anti-Semitism in the West. Throughout Europe and in America, our own current government has been anti-Israel in many of their decisions. But we're told, bless them, pray for their peace, and don't curse them because I will bless those that bless them and I will curse those who curse them. If you curse Israel, you're opening yourself up to a curse. And I, I don't know about you. I like being blessed. Amen? So Satan releases his wrath on God's chosen people. Revelations twelve thirteen to 14, it says, When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman, Israel, who had given birth to the male child, Jesus. But she was given two wings, like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon For a time, times, and half a time, that's three and a half years. I so love the Word of God. I'm so thankful for the Word of God. I got an email, um, and a a lady asked me, really concerned about the mark of the beast, and would it be a computer chip, what would it be, and and how in the world are we going to not take it? if we're forced to take it. And I wrote her back and said, you won't be forced to take it. You have an option or God would not have told you to say no. But I said to her, I said, though many will be martyred during the great tribulation, let me tell you something. God takes care of his own. And that's where our faith needs to be and our our trust needs to be. Uh, You know, when God poured out the judgments on the land of Egypt during Moses' time, it was one horrible judgment after another. Do you, do you notice that God's people were always protected from those judgments? They were always kept from them, protected from them, um, saved from them, even though they were right there watching it. Now look what verses 15 to 17 says. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman, that would be Israel, with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. I, I take the flood of water to be a flood of persecution. There is a flood of persecution, literally, I don't mean to be gross, but vomiting out of Satan's mouth, a flood of persecution. Verse 16, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out From the mouth of the dragon, and the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. And I think we're in there, the rest of her children, because from the Jewish people came Christ, and from Christ we were born again, and we were grafted into the vine. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. That's who the dragon was angry with, Christians. Satan hates all who name the name of Christ. This is likely a prediction of a flood of violent persecution. That's what I think it clearly is. And and it says that God literally swallows up this persecution and keeps it from landing on those he's protecting. Amen? Amen. This is heavy stuff, is it not? Now, I want you to remember something I told you at the beginning. The revelation is not chronological. Chapter 12 has just provided a preview of Antichrist. But chapter 13 is about to go into much greater detail, starting with his arrival. So let's read chapter 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, says John, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. And here we got this description again, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. The phrase, rising up out of the sea, he said, I'm standing on the seashore and I see this beast. Now, the beast is always the Antichrist. I see this beast rising up out of the sea. What is that talking about? That's a description of how the Antichrist is going to rise out of the vast sea of humanity. It's like he appears overnight as I read my Bible. As I read the Bible, it's very clear to me, suddenly he's there. He bursts onto the world scene, and I believe the way he does it is when he brokers that peace treaty between the Arabs and the Israelis. But he, he comes up out of the sea of humanity. In other words, he suddenly distinguishes in himself. Chapter 13 goes on to describe the beast king, who is elsewhere called the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the little horn king, the prince that shall come, and the abomination of desolation. Now, first, notice with me, the Antichrist is described as having seven heads. Now, John is going to tell us in chapter 17 these words, quote, The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Now, the place of seven mountains is clearly Rome. We're going to see later in this study that Antichrist is going to come out of, appear out of a revived Roman Empire. That's where he's going to come from because John IDs him as coming or being identified with Rome. The kings, he mentions, are political rulers Of a revived Roman Empire. Now, John also mentions seeing ten horns. Now, again, in chapter 17, an angel explains to John what the ten horns represent. So let's take a peek, and then we'll come back to chapter 13. Quote The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. Now look at how they're unified. Verse 13. And I'm in chapter 17 of Revelations. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority and allegiance to the beast. Ten nations. They will make war with who? The Lamb. And those who are connected to the Lamb. And the Lamb will overcome them. So let's read the next part together. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Now these ten horns, I know this is a lot tonight, but as we wrap up, these ten horns likely represent ten nations. They're in the world right now. that will join with the Antichrist in his attempt at world domination. They will support him. They will undergird him. They will be in league with him. They will submit to him, as well as his attack against Christ and the tribulation saints. And i got to tell you, folks, when I think of this ten-nation confederacy, it seems so probable to me this is happen- going to happen either through the United Nations or the European Union. And, boy, do I have some things to share on the European Union in the next week or two. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to curl your hair if it's not curly. (laughs) So we close with the world being rocked by God's judgments and with Satan's antichrist exercising totalitarian authority over the nations of the world. But listen to me carefully. All of this is subject to the mighty providence of our God. So next time two beasts and 666. How many of you can say either amen or oh me? If you're a believer, you ought to say amen, because listen, we're going to see in the next couple of weeks that these things are happening all around us. We need to be lifting up our heads. Our redemption draws nigh. Amen.